This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenevec. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Radio. Or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News. Kathleen Hayes, Global Economics and Policy Editor at Bloomberg News with us in our New York City Bureau. Dave Wilson, Stocks Editor at Bloomberg News on the remote access from New Jersey. Kathleen, I think heading into the studio, you said there's going to be some headlines. Well, there are, and there are some very important ones, Carol, but you got to look just a little bit deeper uh, to see. Seven eight of 18 Fed officials see at least one uh, 2023 rate hike now. A, a, a change in liftoff? No, it's not a majority yet, but uh, the, at the January, excuse me, the December meeting, because, you know, they changed the dot plots, mm-hmm. their, their summary of economic projections every three months, there were only five. So you see, you're going to get a little more sense that more is saying, well, the economy is going to be stronger than we thought. Listen to this law. You really need more details now on, on the what they're doing with their forecast. Real GDP in December, they saw 4.2% for the year. They boosted that by a could amount. It's 6.5% on their radio screen now. In December, they thought the unemployment rate would fall to 5%. Remember, it was up around 14%. Now they think the unemployment rate will end the year at 4.5% and next year at 39 Some people will say, hey, 39 sounds very much like full employment, the substantial further progress that the Fed is hoping to make. And you mentioned those uh, core PC inflation numbers. What's interesting so important. In December, they thought that the 2021 number would be 1.8. Now they see it at 2.2. So they really mm. have changed their outlook on the economy. This is all very important. But a couple more things, though, you got to have on the radar screen, though, because there were some things that they they. Uh, have not done. They didn't increase their bond purchases. They want to see substantial further progress, as I just said. Um, They are not increasing the rate, the interest on excess reserves. That ties into some questions about money markets and how they could be roiled by some buildups in reserves. But really, there's a lot of signals. I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen the bond market actually uh, gain some ground. And now Mm -hmm. uh, the 30-year is back even lower than it was the 10-year about where it started. Because on the one hand, and they didn't change anything, but at the same time, it looks to me like if anything's there, a, a Fed that sees higher inflation and stronger growth than they thought before, maybe they will be on the road to uh, a sooner liftoff. Not yet, but that's the kind of question we're going to hear put in front of Jay Powell. Bottom line, Fed turning more hawkish or not really? I don't think they're hawkish okay. yet. I think so far they're just recognizing the progress in the economy because they say the virus is still the biggest issue and it's still out there. Hey, Dave Wilson, come on in here and give us the equity market reaction. What happened when these headlines came out? How are traders uh, responding to this news? Well, I mean, you saw the S&P 500 spike up to its highs of the day. So clearly it's going over well. And if you want to focus on one area of the market that's sort of tied into the decision, it's the home builders. They were up, but they they immediately moved to their highs of the day uh, after uh, the decision came out. You know, and especially noteworthy, you got Lennar, with the biggest gain in the S&P 500 right now, it's up more than 11.5%. On top of what's happening with Fed policy, you know, they came out and said they raised capital from Centerbridge Partners for a new single-family rental business, and they also plan a spinoff that will include uh, their technology investments. So there's a company story to accompany the bigger story of where rates may be headed here. 
Yeah, good point. Hey, two things I want to get to, and I know Kathleen uh, mentioned this as well. Fed's forecast showing PCE will rise to 2.4% this year before backing off to 2% in 2022, 2.1% in 2023. Yet the median dots still show no rate hike through 2023. And this sentence retained from the January policy statement, quote, from the Fed, the ongoing public health crisis continues to weigh on economic activity, employment, and inflation and poses considerable risks to the economic outlook. Listen, Kathleen, this mirrors what Tim and I hear from so many folks in the medical communities, the corporate communities, like until we get this vaccine and virus under control, all bets are off. But look how much the cases have come down. Look how much the virus has But receded. we plateaued too. And, and well, that is in, troubling to a lot of folks in the medical definitely, community. Definitely. And I think and I think it's kind of glass half empty, glass half full, because if you talk to anybody anecdotally, just, oh, yeah, I didn't couldn't qualify for a vaccine. But I went over to Dwayne Reed to the to the Walgreens and they had a bunch of leftovers at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm only 28, but they gave me the vaccination. I think what uh, people were very negative about this, what they called a slow start to a program we had never done probably in about 100 years. Uh, you know, nationwide vaccinations, and now they seem to be gaining some steam. So I think that's the thing that's interesting here. Yes, it still depends. Yes, there's tons of question marks over what happens next, right? Because we know things can get worse just when you think they're getting better. But it seems to me this, Fed's been saying this for the last year. You want to think, know what monetary policy is going to do? Watch the virus. The quicker this gets mm-hmm. under control, the more businesses can reopen, the more people aren't afraid to go out and shop and spend money and fly and go to hotels, the quicker the economy will pick up. The longer that lingers, the longer it will take. But I see Carol in, and Tim in this um, in this particular policy statement in some of the other things they're announcing that uh, this is – this is asymmetric to me. They're seeing what the economy is doing. Some people are saying, hmm, maybe we will raise rates a little bit sooner. So watch the economy. If it gets a lot stronger, a lot faster, maybe we do get lift off sooner. If it doesn't, you know, maybe they really can't lift off until 2024. So Carol mentioned inflation. So I, I want to ask about that, Kathleen, because the, the median Fed forecast shows that core inflation right around or above its target in the next few years. One topic that we've heard so much of, of, from investors about is inflation. So what is the message that the Fed is sending investors about inflation and how it feels about inflation? Well, so far, just looking at the forecast again, uh, because the core PCE, as you note, um, is... 2.2% this year, but Jay Powell and others have, have made it clear, we see a temporary kind of spike up in inflation as we adjust year after, you know, one year hence to the, the numbers that fell so much last year. And so there's gonna be a lot of things and then pent up demand after the after not being able to shop. But the, I think the fact that we see in the 2022 year, 2%, 2023, 2.1%, the question will be, Jay Powell says, and all, many of them have said, they don't mind seeing inflation at 2.5% even higher. They want it above 2% and staying there. Would would 2% in, in 2022 convince right. them it's time to lift off? Probably not. Yeah. Good stuff, guys. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Kathleen Hayes, Global Economics and Policy Editor at Bloomberg News. Dave Wilson, Stocks Editor. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes' Tim Stenovic from Bloomberg Radio. And of course, our top story on this Fed Wednesday is the Federal Reserve keeping zero uh, rates as expected. Uh, and in terms of the outlook, also going to keep rates pretty low for a while still. Season inflation bump as short 
lived in the future. So just giving us some indications of where they see things going. Let's get into it with our roundtable. Yeah, let's do it. Ali Wolf is chief economist at Zonda, joining us on the phone from Irvine, California. Jeffrey Cleveland is chief economist at Payton and Regal on the phone from Los Angeles. They're not too far apart right no. now. Thanks to both <laughs> of you for, for joining us. Um, Ali, I want to start with you, your immediate reaction to this news. So this is a fun day for the Fed followers. Uh, what we saw, obviously, a, a huge revision by the Fed, but this was to be expected. And it basically matches what we've been seeing from the private economists who have been putting out their forecast that GDP is going to be pretty remarkable this year as the economy opens up at a, at a way more rapid pace than I think a lot of us expected. Well, okay. So come on in on, good to know, um, Jeff, Jeffrey, come on in too in terms of your um, reaction to uh, the Fed decision. Well, I was going to say, the distance between Irvine and Los Angeles <laughs> depends a lot on the traffic. So it, it can actually take a lot longer than you think, Tim. Um, Good point. Yeah, I mean, the, big, the big thing here is they have a better economic outlook, um, better GDP growth. They have lower unemployment. They have a little bit higher inflation. Yet the median dot, the median dot does not move for 2023. That is the key. The, uh, it's this kind of tug of war that's going on with the financial market, with the bond market in particular, where the bond market is saying, okay, better growth, higher inflation, therefore you need to hike. And the Fed is saying, no, 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 that is the, the script from perhaps last cycle. That is not the script we're, we're going to use. We're going to keep rates at zero for longer. And so that's the message they delivered here. Whether the market really believes it, Carol and Tim, that's, a, that's another question itself. Dare I say Goldilocks economy, so unemployment rate gets better, although let's not forget there, you know, these, there are so many different measures of uh, unemployment. It doesn't really look at um, the millions who are out of the labor force altogether who've just said, I'm frustrated, I'm out of it. But dare I say, Jeffrey, that we are or could be headed for kind of a Goldilocks economy, some growth with low inflation once again. For investors, this is perfect. You have better growth, you have a little bit higher inflation, which is fine. And you have an easy Fed. You could mix in there very easy fiscal conditions as well. So I think this is a very good backdrop for risk assets for, for investors overall. I would ignore the unemployment rate, Carol, that 4% mm. figure that gets bandied about. I would focus instead on the employment to population, mm -hmm. 25 to 54-year-olds, how many of them or what percentage of those are folks are employed. That's at 76 right now. It needs to be over 80 before I even think we should have another phone call about full employment. So that's a ways to go. Hey, Ali, come on in here and talk about the reaction among home builders right now, because this is something that, that of course, you watch closely at, at, at Zonda. You heard Dave Wilson earlier talk about housing stocks on a tear uh, this afternoon. What's the reaction there? Yeah, so when you look at the housing market and you look at what's happened to the economy over the past year, you've basically had people that have been forced to save. Now, by the way, this doesn't just apply to the housing market. This applies to the wider economy. You have people that have been forced to save. There has been student loan forbearance. There has been three different rounds coming up of stimulus. And then you also have, which I think a lot of people forget, the underground economy, the hairdressers and the, the fitness instructors that were still working under the table and also getting unemployment insurance and also getting the stimulus. So when you start to add up all of those numbers, you really have people that were able to continue to work flush with cash. And when you look at the, the housing market, well, certainly that's a, a game changer because people need to save for a down payment to purchase a home. And all of a sudden, because of what happened to the economy, again, as long as you are employed, a lot of people are in a really healthy position that's going to drive growth not only for the home builders, but also for the wider economy. 
Let's remind everybody in just about 13 minutes, a little bit under 13 minutes time, we will take you to the Federal Reserve in Washington, D.C. and to Fed Chief Jay Powell. His statement and his press conference will begin at that time. And of course, we will cover it live right here at Bloomberg. Right now, we're talking with Ali Wolf, Chief Economist at Zonda, Jeffrey Cleveland, Chief Economist at Payden and Regal. So, Ali, let me ask you, though, the housing recovery uh, and strength, how important is it, though, in terms of the upcoming economic recovery? And I and I'm, I'm asking, too, with an eye on, in some parts of the world, it does feel like, or in some parts of the country, that we're starting to see, you know, a shortage of supply. Yeah. So when we look at the housing starts numbers, or you look at how many homes are being built, for every single home that's built, three different jobs are created. And housing has been able to partly lead the recovery this time around because builders have been so active. And on the new and existing home side, for every home someone purchases, they spend money elsewhere. They spend money at Home Depot. They spend money at Target. And that helps those different companies along the way, too. The risk, though, is as we're looking at the 10-year Treasury, we know that that's closely linked to mortgage rates. Yes, mortgage rates are still historically low at 3%, but we just have to watch how high those go because really even 10, 15 basis points starts to price people out of the market with how much home prices have gone up over the past year as well. Jeffrey, what do you make of, of how the Fed is, is thinking about 2021 growth? Uh, the Fed is even more optimistic uh, on 2021 growth, as Chris Ancy points out in our, in our live blog right now. The median forecast among economists surveyed by Bloomberg, um, the Fed policymakers median is 6.5. The Bloomberg survey uh, medium is, median is 6. So the Fed clearly optimistic here. Yeah, I don't know what the Bloomberg uh, survey there is doing. I mean, I think uh, the Payton and Regal forecast for 2021 is 6.5%. So mm. it's right in line with the FOMC median. I like that. So I would, the way I would spin it, Tim, is that uh, the Fed has finally caught up with Payton and Regal's uh, more upbeat uh, <laughs> economic forecast, which actually probably should make me a little concerned at this point. I don't know. Why? <laughs> Talk, yeah, talk. I mean, I mean, I mean obviously it's, you're joking there, but but like, what, why why were you guys why are you guys so optimistic? I mean, and well, why? Did, yeah. Go ahead. The, the the optimistic tone. Sorry to start the year was due to just the reopening, the fact that households do have a lot of pent up savings, depending on how you measure it, somewhere between one and two trillion, you know, or ten percent of GDP roughly. So that's a huge amount of money that will be, I think, unleashed as as the economy reopens. And then now another round of uh, fiscal relief coming down. So, you know, all those things together, I think you can very easily get to a six, six and a half percent GDP growth figure, maybe even some risk, Tim, to higher growth in, in 2021. That being said, the thing is, looking at it a little bit further, I think we'll settle back down somewhere closer to two percent or so. So it's not something that will persist beyond beyond 2021. But I think it's a very upbeat view for the year ahead. So, Ali, you know, I asked Jeffrey about, you know, a Goldilocks economy. Uh, you know, it took a while to kind of get things going coming off of the financial crisis, but we did kind of have, you know, low and steady for a long, long time. Uh, so, certainly something that financial market investors uh, made them, you know, pretty, you know, eager to take on risk uh, in a low yield environment. How do you see it? Could we be setting up for once again kind of a low and steady recovery here? Well, I actually think it's going to be really robust. When you look at history, so we've now put $6 trillion into the system over the past year from just the uh, Congress and from what they've done from the different stimulus packages versus $1.8 trillion over multiple years last time around. And when a lot of us economists look at the data, we say, well, that's one of the reasons that it was so long and protracted to finally get back. 
But what we've seen from the stimulus checks that have gone out so far, we can already learn from what consumers do with it. And so right now, this is data from the Chicago Fed, you can see 50% of the money gets spent basically right away, and then 50% of it gets saved. And some of that money is getting saved for things people can't do today, but they can do three or four months from now. Go on vacation, go to restaurants, go to bars. And so that's why I also feel really positive. I think I mean, we've seen Goldman's forecasts are even higher than that 6.5% that we're seeing from the Fed. But that's what gives me support about the economic recovery. But it's a spike, Allie, right? And then we start to settle down to kind of more normal levels. It is, but it depends. It depends on, is it that one-time vacation that you're going on? I know a lot of people are talking about they want to either take multiple vacations. I want to take 10 vacations right now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so I understand that, but we also know that there's additional stimulus that's likely going to come on the infrastructure side, which fuels more uh, longer-term growth, too. So, Jeffrey, the the Fed is optimistic, Payton and Regal is optimistic. How quickly, in, in your opinion, does hiring start to pick up just in the next few months? I think we could have uh, three, four months ahead, Tim, where you have million, a million and a half jobs added each and every month. So it, it can come back very, very quickly, I think. I, that, to me, that's the lesson of the last nine months, not just for the Fed, but also for forecasters. People were very, and I think it's justifiable last summer to be very pessimistic given the state of, of the world at the time. But things have changed dramatically, especially in the last six or eight weeks even. So we've seen that uh, as soon as things reopen, uh, hiring will come back very very quickly. We got a little taste of that last year, but I think that's what's ahead for the next, I would say, three three to four months. Hey, uh, Ali and Jeffrey, I want to ask you, is this kind of how we, fingers crossed, had hoped it would would play out after the deep decline and the economy uh, shutting down last year? You know, Ali, isn't this kind of... I know it's a lot of money being pumped into the system, but isn't this kind of what we hoped for rather than staying down for a longer time, which would have made it more difficult to bounce back? I think this is what we hoped for, but I would say at least my early forecast was more like a swoosh shape. I thought that there would be a little bit of economic pain. And I do want to temper what I just said with some of the labor statistics, because if you do look at the leisure and hospitality sector, so that's obviously the sector that's been hit the hardest. Let's say tomorrow, because the economy opens up, every single one of those jobs comes back. Right. We go from 9.5 million jobs shy of where we, where we were last year to now 5 million jobs shy of where we are last year. So there's a lot of enthusiasm that, okay, as we open up, and I, I just said it to you guys too, there's a lot of enthusiasm on that front, but we still have some lingering pain with the long-term unemployed, with the commercial real estate space that I think, honestly, not enough people are, are acknowledging that there's a risk on that front, too. Tim and I talk about that all the time. Like, we just, driving around New York, it's just staggering the number of boarded up, shut down, you know, retail, restaurants, you name it, that are no longer there, Tim. Yeah, and if companies have, and employees have proven, look, to, mm-hmm. you know, mixed reviews from executives who we hear from pretty much each and every week about how they feel about employees not being in the office. But if employees have proven that they can work in a hybrid environment or or remotely from home or coming into the office just a couple of days a week, that has serious repercussions for parts of the economy. So Jeffrey, commercial real estate, is that something that might be another shoe to drop maybe this year or into next year? Well, I have to say, I think if you go back nine months ago, the, the outlook was much more pessimistic. Like we would never return to the office. I think that's changed a lot. And I think you see that change in, in pricing for for the, the commercial real estate sector in, in various ways. So maybe we should be a little bit more upbeat. Um, it was like, Carol, it was the U, the L, the <laughs> W shape recovery. It's much more like the U than I think, uh, or even like the V. You know, it's not the L or it's not the W. 
Um, but that being said, I mean, I think there is some restructuring that needs to go on here. But that's that's something that happens every recession, where you do have sectors that don't quite come back to where they were pre-recession, and they capital needs to be reallocated. So maybe uh, that that will be focused on the on the CRE space. Well, Jeffrey, one letter you didn't mention was K, and it's the K-shaped recovery that that we've been talking about for months. That the people who have been at the the higher end of the the income bracket uh, have done so much better than those at the lower end. Um, what needs to happen in order for the recovery to be equal? The best thing that can happen for the K-shaped type recovery to get the lower end back is to have full and inclusive employment. So that's why I was so mm-hmm. emphatic about the, the 25 to 54-year-old, the population. It's at 76. We need it back at 80. When that labor market gets to that level of tightness, that's when the lower income stretches tend to benefit the most. We saw that in 2018 and 2019. I think maybe the Fed even learned its lesson that perhaps they preemptively hiked uh, too much too quickly and sort of uh, we could have had an even hotter labor market. So we need a hot labor market to help the bottom part of the K. Right, which is just where we were pre-pandemic. Just three and a half minutes away from Jay Powell of the Federal Reserve, he will be making a brief statement followed by, of course, the press conference following that latest Fed decision. We're with here uh, with Ali Wolf of Zonda and Jeffrey Cleveland of Payton and Regal. Guys, um, got a question for you both. Uh, What keeps you up at night, Ali? What worries you about the U.S. economy right now? So I would say, and this is something that I'm sure people will ask Jay Powell on when he comes out for his press conference, is he has acknowledged that, yes, we're going to have this the base effect with inflation, and yes, we're going to have um, transitory inflation. But the question, basically everyone is saying we haven't seen inflation in the past, and going into this, we didn't see really high levels of inflation, so we shouldn't expect to see it. And I know there's a couple different camps emerging, but we're living through a world of so many different unprecedented. You know, we're talking about a top dollar amount that we haven't seen. We're talking about that gap between the haves and the have nots. We're talking about the savings changes. We're talking about a goods economy that's thriving and a service economy that's not. And, and eventually they both will maybe come up and they'll meet in the middle. But how high can inflation go? How long can the Fed hold off? If the numbers are alarmingly higher than what they think, which I think at one phase throughout this year, we may see pretty alarmingly high inflation numbers. Jeffrey, same question to you. What keeps you up at night? I think policymakers are always fighting the last battle. And the, the battle last cycle, the lesson that policymakers seem to have learned is that they could have let the economy run a bit hotter or longer and not preemptively uh, started the hiking cycle. And that would have benefited a lot of the, the labor market, and that maybe would have had higher inflation. So they, they seem to think that it was their, you know, their call. They control inflation. I wonder about that. What, what if that's the wrong lesson and inflation, you know, has a mind of its own is driven by something else and they'll be a bit surprised here by a, by a more persistent pickup. That's probably the biggest concern. All right. Going to leave it on that note. Guys, you were amazing. Thank you so much. Really smart insight. Ali Wolf, chief economist at Zonda, on the phone from Irvine, California, just around the corner. Jeffrey Lee, Jeffrey Cleveland, he's chief economist at Payton and Regal on the phone from Los Angeles. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic from Bloomberg Radio. Let's continue with our coverage of today's decision by the Federal Reserve, their Open Market Committee, and Jay Powell's press conference. Joining us right now, great to have back with us, is Stephen Skanke. He's Chief Economic Advisor at Kill Point, former U.S. Treasury and White House National Security Council staff member based in Washington, D.C., on the phone, though, from Missouri on this Wednesday, Fed Wednesday. Also here, Bloomberg Economics Chief U.S. Economist Carl Riccadonna with a recap of the Powell press conference as well. And he joins us on the phone in New Jersey. So, so um, 
Carl, let me start with you. What stood out here? It feels like it's almost a perfect report. <laughs> well, it certainly was uh, a well well executed. He stuck the landing here. I think the market mm-hmm. is uh, getting ready to test the Fed's resolve against uh, both the backup in interest rates and also some uh, signs that maybe inflation pressures are starting to uh, warm up, at least on a temporary basis. Uh, and so we have seen yields uh, backing up to uh, post uh, or to, to pre-pandemic uh, levels. Uh, although when we adjust those uh, Treasury yields for inflation, we're right back at zero. So uh, you know, it, it's not. While it looks like a large move in yields, uh, when we take it in the context of uh, how the economy is performing at the moment, uh, it's not uh, the type of backup in rates that could actually derail activity. So uh, I was kind of surprised to see the market largely take this in stride, but. But as expected, this is a Fed that is not going to be phased by short-term deviations in the economic data. So they acknowledge that, yes, $1.9 trillion of fiscal stimulus is going to dramatically change the growth profile for 2021. But it's not going to have a long-term implication for either growth or inflation pressures in the economy. So this is a Fed that still thinks it's too early to even talk about talking about the exit. Steve, do you agree with that assessment? How do you see it? And is the Fed right in kind of their outlook, you know, feeling like we can keep rates low for a long time? That's right. Uh, uh, It's actually uh, uh, quite phenomenal how how well Jay Powell uh, navigated uh, around this issue of inflation and uh, what are they going to do and what is their outlook. Uh, I think what was really uh, uh, impressive was that uh, he just, well, not he, but, but the FOMC just went into it uh, uh, head first. Uh, their, their summary of economic projections, they, they increased the growth outlook to 6.5% for 2021 versus 42 uh, Unemployment lower at 3.9%. And then interestingly, uh, right up front, uh, uh, headline inflation at 2.4% in uh, 2021. Uh, uh, and, and then 2% in 2022, core inflation in 2021 at 2.2%. So, so when we see the numbers start to tick up, they're already out there in, uh, in front of it. They're, they're saying we expect this and what we're doing has all of this in mind. Uh, and, and that should take a, a lot of the second guessing and, uh, and jitters out of the market when it comes, as it will. Well, and Carl, was there something that wasn't asked that you kind of wish had been of Jay Powell? Is there something that, or after the press conference, you're still thinking, God, I'd like to go back and kind of push him on some point? Well, Carol, uh, the, the, the million-dollar question, or, or maybe we should say uh, multi-trillion-dollar <laughs> question uh, as it pertains uh, to quantitative easing, uh, is this question, uh, the, the notion about what the exit sequence is going to be like. So we, we know from the, the get-go it's pointless to ask him about uh, when they're going to raise rates or when they're going to taper asset purchases uh, because he's going to give those canned answers that are, that are well-thought-out answers uh, but the, the, that he's been giving for uh, you know, the broader course of uh, six months to a year uh, dependent on economic conditions, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So he's not going to come out and say, hey, folks, yeah, I'm going to do no this on this date, that. right? <laughs> Right, exactly. So the, the, as he said in his own words, we're not going to put pins in the calendar uh, mm. on those issues. It depends on economic data. But what is a very important question here is the sequence of the exit. So if we look back to the Fed uh, response after the 2007 to 2009, <coughs> 2009 recession, 
uh, they hiked rates by about 100 basis points before they started to let the balance sheet unwind. Uh, the question is, will they follow the same playbook this time around, uh, or is it kind of a first-in, last-out uh, approach where maybe they deem the, uh, the, the policy response last time around to be ineffective, where they would like to taper asset purchases first uh, and then follow through with rate increases? So that would have dramatic consequences for the financial markets, uh, and unfortunately, we're just not getting that question asked to the chairman uh, just yet. Great point. Uh, Steve, let me put that question to you. Is there something that you kind of wish you could go back now and, you know, add on to the questioning of Jay Powell or push him on, you know, one particular point? Well, it, it would be really to get a better understanding of uh, of maximum employment uh, mm. and the variety of labor market indicators uh, that they're using. It's not just the unemployment rate. It's not just labor force participation. But they, they clearly have something in mind uh, about uh, what maximum employment looks like and how that uh, has to be uh, spread out uh, with uh, with some equality through the disadvantaged sectors of the labor market, uh, and uh, and they talk about it some, but uh, but never with enough specificity that uh, that anyone just trying to read the tea leaves separately could uh, could come up with a judgment. Um, I understand that they don't want to tip their hand on that, but uh, but I sure would love to ask the question and hear an answer. Yeah. Well, you know, and I've got to just put this to you guys. You know, it does feel like I talked about kind of a Goldilocks economy. Like, could we possibly, Carl, be getting back to that? I think very much we're getting back to that, Carol. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're looking for economic growth. I know the Fed is taking growth at about 6.5% this year. Uh, My own team is uh, forecasting growth closer to 7.7% for this year. So we have very robust growth numbers, which should drive the unemployment rate lower. Although I should add a a footnote of caution, uh, those unemployment rate projections the Fed put out there do not necessarily assume that participation in the economy rebounds to where we were pre-pandemic. So keep in mind that even though uh, the last unemployment rate uh, was reported at about uh, 6.2%, if we adjust it for the collapse in participation that happened during the pandemic, uh, we would instead be talking of an unemployment rate closer to 9%. So, uh, you know, those forecasts don't fully take that into account. Uh, But back to Steve's point, the answer, Steve, uh, look all around you. You're in Missouri. It's the show me state. Uh, and so Fed <laughs> Chair Powell and his committee, um, they want to see the evidence of wage pressures in the economy. So they wonder where full employment is. Uh, they'll know that they've gotten there. You know, it used to be talking about the whites of the eyes of inflation. Now it's the coattails yep. of inflation where they actually need to see inflation marching past them uh, to actually know that we've reached full employment in the economy. We've gone through 4% in the recent past, wasn't inflationary. We were at 3.5% before the pandemic set in, and actually we're seeing inflation and wage pressures trending in the wrong direction. So while the Fed doesn't want to put a number around this, it's probably low 3% or maybe even lower territory. Which is wild. Two things, Steve, and then I want you to kind of react to this, but there was two things that came from Jay Powell saying it's going to take time for $10 million to return to work. He also said the time of tight unemployment inflation that tie is long gone. So, Steve, come on in and layer on this conversation. Well, there, there's probably closer to 20 million people who are who are unemployed mm. um, uh, to the point that Carl made earlier. And, and I think uh, I think most recently reported uh, last week is that there are uh, 20 million people still receiving some form of unemployment benefits. Uh, 
related to the pandemic or otherwise, uh, and that's a huge number. Uh, and when you when you when you try to count it up, uh, obviously you get, as Carl said, the uh, the reduction in labor force participation, the people who haven't got their jobs back. Um, within labor force participation, the the number of five million people who who left the labor force just to take care of their kids when schools closed, uh, and, and all of that uh, comes back together. And and so when uh, when Chair Powell says uh, th- this isn't about estimates and guesses that we we want to see substantial actual progress as carl said marching past us uh with higher employment uh, and inflation uh and uh, to to see it moving beyond uh, beyond our target right and uh, I, think- I think that's uh, that that's critical uh, uh with, with the concern and care they have about the uh, the employment situation that that really is going to be their focus uh, uh, maybe to the detriment of, uh, of price stability, right. but I think we all hope not uh, for the reason you just said, Carol, you know, that tie seems to be broken. Yeah, and the Fed chief saying that several times that, you know, the Fed is eyeing actual progress, not forecast progress, and saying that the things that they're putting out right now are forecasts. Guys, um, thank you so much. Uh, really smart uh, conversation here. Dr. Stephen Skanke, great to check in with him again. Chief Economic Advisor at Kill Point, former U.S. Treasury and White House National Security Council staff member, with us from Missouri, as we like to say. Carl Riccadonna, the best Chief U.S. Economist at Bloomberg Economics, with us on the phone in New Jersey. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic from Bloomberg Radio. Let's talk about the drive to the close with David Spica. He's president and chief investment officer at Guidestone Capital Management, 16.3 billion in assets under management. And their small cap equity fund, by the way, up nearly 18% year to date on par with the rise in the Russell 2000. David with us on the phone from Dallas. David, uh, interesting market year already, and it's only mid-March. How do you see it? And how does what the Fed say you think play into the market play for the rest of the year? Well, thanks for having me on, Carol. And I would say, yes, it's been very interesting. And clearly, the market liked what they heard from the Fed today, a very dovish tone, no rate hikes until 2024, continuing uh, to buy bonds and and, and do QE into the foreseeable future. Uh, That's really been the key ever since the market bottom a year ago, has been what the Fed has done in terms of stimulus. And now we've got more fiscal stimulus, courtesy of the federal government. That's also fueling stock prices. Ultimately, what we want to see, though, is a sustainable economic recovery fueled by consumer spending. Now, we had weaker-than-expected consumer spending in February, but that was pre-stimulus. Um, we're getting better jobs. There was a lot of snow. There was a lot of stuff going on, right? Yeah, yeah, a lot of snow, a lot of weather. We had some bad economic data. But going forward, the stimulus should be a key, and, and we really feel like this year we're going to see very, very strong economic growth, and the market should respond to that. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, listen, we have a story on the Bloomberg. It's one of our most read. Americans have $1.7 trillion to burn in revenge spending binge. And, you know, just talking about, you know, we've been all pent up, not spending money on anything, and, you know, that as the economy reopens, the expectation is that people are going to be out there spending big time. 
Yeah, that's a great point, Carolyn. One of the things that we like in in our small cap equity fund, the Guidestone Small Cap Equity Fund, is the opportunity to see leisure spending take off. Mm -hmm. And so what you saw during the pandemic was a lot more spending on things that could support outdoor activities watercraft and bicycles and golf equipment. So a company like Malibu Boats that trades at a very attractive 16 times forward earnings multiple, a leader in high-performance watercraft production, and a company that's made some really nice recent acquisitions, we think they'll benefit from this trend, as will companies like Dick Sporting Goods and Callaway Golf. This is something that's going to continue as companies, as individuals start spending that money they've been holding on to over the past year. This is a pretty remarkable stock, ticker is MBUU. And I have to say, I've been talking and uh, folks I know talking with people who are in the boating industry and sell boats, they said it has never been busier than what they have been seeing over the last year or so, and in particular what we're seeing right now. But you look at MBUU, uh, that was a stock that was trading at 16 bucks at the end of 2015. It's now an $87 stock. It has been consistently higher and higher uh, each year specifically. Another name that you like is um, an IT staffing co- uh, company. The ticker is ASGN. Virginia-based. Talk to us about this company. Uh, Yeah, ASGN is a company that provides staffing solutions in the IT industry. And if you think about where the growth is in the economy today, IT clearly is the leader. Uh, We don't want to forget the fact that IT companies and IT stocks are not performing well, but longer term, IT growth is going to be paramount for the growth of the economy. So a company like ASGN that can provide staffing solutions for technology companies um, is going to do very, very well. And they've also got a very attractive growth-oriented M&A strategy that's very additive to their growth. And so that's another company that we own in the Guidestone Small Cap Equity Fund that we're very favorable toward. Up 30% in 2019, up another 18% last year. Um, let me also ask you really quickly about Q2 holding. It's down about 15% this year. Ticker is Q2, QTWO. Just got about 35 seconds. It's got a pretty high uh, short position, too. What's your take here? Well, the valuation's kind of steep because they've made a lot of uh, uh, they've got a lot of expenses related to their growth, but the yeah. top line revenue growth is going to be 20% or more for the foreseeable future. They provide cloud-based services for small and mid-sized banks, and 70% of their revenues are recurring. They're subscription-based, and if you think about where the where the activity is going to be, the banking sector is going to benefit from this rebound in the economy and all the stimulus. And a company like Q2 will be well positioned to benefit from that as well. Yeah, forward-looking PE of 375. You weren't kidding that it's steep. Um, hey, listen, good to check in with you. Really appreciate it. David Spica, President and Chief Investment Officer of Guidestone Capital Management, $16.3 billion in assets under management with us on the phone from Dallas. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.